So far we have covered the Theravada approach uh, in Vipassana, Vipassana meditation uh, where you look at the meditation objects in a deep way, discovering the three characteristics, anicca, anatta, dukkha. And then we moved into the more analytical approach of the Mayana tradition, where we use reasonings uh, to prove to ourselves that things, including ourselves, can't exist in the way they appear to us. And because we believe that they appear, uh, that they exist in the way they appear to us, we suffer. This is obvious, obviously very challenging because something in us is seeking uh, a confirmation that our problems are real, particularly when they are happening to us. So there is a resistance to that. We, something in us wants to take our problems serious because that's a lot our definition of who we are. I'm the one with problems. And it sucks, but at least I know who I am. It's like a foothold. And then if someone is challenging that, saying to yourself, you yourself and the problem is made up, then it's... What's then? How, how long can I stand alive without problems? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after two hours, it freaks us out. Yeah? <coughs> so, we have talked about how we don't exist. And as you noticed in the discussion uh, after, there was always this attempt to bring existence back. Yeah? And of course, I, I've repeated again and again, the teachings on emptiness does not mean that nothing exists. Yeah, so I repeated that, but still, when we hear these teachings on emptiness, um, it, it keeps on sounding like I'm saying nothing exists and therefore nothing matters. And, and that and we can't accept that, which is good. You know, it's a good tendency because it's not actually what the teachings on emptiness say, that nothing, nothing exists and nothing matters. It's actually more something like, because everything is empty, everything matters, every moment, every thought, every feeling. Because that's the building blocks of how the world appears to you. So now we will move into uh, the teachings on how you exist. And uh, for that we need to cover two areas. The first one is dependent arising. And the second, which we will do next time, is the teachings of the third turning of the wheel of the Buddha on Buddha nature, yeah. Tathagata Gaba. So that's the two things we, we, we need to cover to understand more deeply, okay, I don't exist in this way, in this isolated, separate, findable way, real way, in the way it appears to me. So how do I exist then? Because obviously we exist. I mean, there's something going on here, right? 
But to understand how that something which is going on on here is uh, uh, is is existing, that's quite uh, quite subtle and, and and profound. So to really find this Madhyamika middle way between nihilism and eternalism or materialism or realism, it's it's a really fine line which uh, which is set in the teachings which is actually uh, for a long time this, to bring these two things together, that things exist, but they don't exist in the way they appear, to bring that together uh, in, into one mind is very profound. So probably for, for us right now, we are able to reflect on emptiness on one hand, and then we are, we, then we are able to reflect on dependent arising on the other hand. And then to, to unify these two, I mean, they even say you need to be a fully enlightened Buddha to, be really, to really do that. So for a long time, there will be always a bit of tension between those two. Yeah? So you can reflect on dependent arising, and you know, that feels kind of good, <laughs> uh, because it, it, it seems a bit to establish existence for us. And then, probably more in a meditative state, we can meditate on emptiness. And then, to bring these two things together, might take a few more days. <laughs> I, I don't give a number here, it's too frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, so today uh, I want to reflect with you a bit on dependent arising or dependent origination, as it's called. It fits that uh, this drawing is here, because that is uh, one teaching in which the word dependent origination is used. But it's not what we are going to look at today. We will look at a more subtle level than this. But these are the 12 links of dependent arising or dependent origination, explaining uh, what is happening in each moment, but actually also explaining how um, how it works with uh, with the experience that what we what we are doing now is forming is is co-creating the world we live in in the future and actually here then also in in future lives. So, but before I keep on talking, so I, I also this time I again want to you know, kind of talk before the break and then leave the leave the time after the break uh, for questions and discussion. It's it's important to be in a dialogue about this. But before I keep on talking, let's uh, take some time to settle and to connect with uh, bodhicitta intention. <coughs> So first you uh, adjust your posture, you check your posture. If you like, you can close your eyes. And you take a few moments uh, to check in, to pay attention to your inner life and what you bring with you, what is happening in your body, 
how is your mood tonight? So you just take a few moments of being quietly with yourself, with what is. So what, what is what is there in the in your experience? As part of this checking in, you notice a shift from the head into the body, even down into your feet. Then again, if it supports you, you can slide on the in-breath with your awareness or with your attention into the body and you feel that this is an embrace, it is a welcoming, you know, welcoming yourself as you are. And with the out-breath, it might be possible to release some of the struggles, some of the tension, particularly in the belly and in the shoulders. And if you do that, you'll notice that your whole body is softening a bit. A tiny little bit of letting go. Thoughts continue to arise, but you allow them to drift into the background. You don't emphasize them so much. And instead you engage with the sense of aliveness in your hands, in your belly, in the breath. possible, allow this moment to be as it is, and only if you find yourself really entangled in the stream of thinking, you make a little effort to return to the breath or to the sounds or to your hands. the out-breath softening even a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
There's nothing you need to think about right now. And returning and resting. Then we call upon our mentors and guides and protectors and they come like angels and they fill the space between us and around us. And here we can call Shantideva, Buddha, Lama Tsongkhapa, Nagarjuna, but also those masters, male and female, Buddhist or non-Buddhist, who are particularly inspiring for you, who bring a quality of kindness and warmth and wisdom into your life. You can focus on just one image or person, but you can also just allow them to come and they bathe you in their loving gaze. You actually hear them, you feel them, you even smell them. And their loving presence, their spacious, mighty silence, is pervading your whole body. Particularly if there's something unsolved in your heart. And if you get distracted by something else, you come back to your body <coughs> and you feel the glow, the warmth, the joy. Of the Bodhisattva angels. Dalai Lama, Kamapa, Lama Sopa.
feel how it is to be in the presence of the divine. There's nothing you need to do from your side except to receive, to open, to trust as best as you can. The loving gaze, the smiles, And then the Bodhisattva angels, they dissolve into that warmth, into that light, and it gathers at your heart, it comes into your body and gathers at the heart. And you become aware of the Buddha inside, the goddess inside. And here you can also imagine symbolically the Buddha, Tara, or a diamond, or just a, a sun. A, become aware of the uncor- uncorruptible, undestroyable source of love within you. And then your chest opens like a flower and the warmth is pouring into your whole body, the healing light. And then it starts to radiate out to the pores of your body, into all directions. From the Buddha inside, from the Goddess inside. So if possible, you shift a little your sense of identity from the miserable I to the source of light, to the source of love, which is bathing everything, including the miserable I. And then we radiate, radiate loving kindness into this room and beyond into your life, into your relationships, into your past and into your future. Compassionate presence.
That's why we are here tonight to make contact with that sun of love and wisdom in our hearts for the benefit of all. Be the light, be the love. And that love is unconditioned, unconditional, but at the same time, the loving gaze sees the emptiness of everything. Then at the end of this meditation, I invite you to reconnect with the Bodhisattva intention to wake up and to grow up. For the benefit of everything, for the benefit of all. to use this life single-pointedly to grow, to expand, to become a lover of what is. The Buddha saw that we suffer because of this dualistic split between subject and object. The dualistic split between me, I, and the other. And because of this dualistic split, and then believing or yeah, believing in the appearance of that split, yeah, that split seems to be so real. So it's, it's a split and then there is a, a solidification or a reification of that split 
into two real things, a real subject and a real object. And just in that, that's the, you know, that, that tension between the subject and object, that in itself is suffering. So we are not even yet in you know, that we act stupidly then and harm others and ourselves, but just that tension, that kind of restlessness, that kind of uh, sense of separation, that in itself is, is that's the deep level of dukkha. But then on top of that, out of that split then, we, we grasp on objects. So that's another kind of tension then. And grasping here means either we want, we want it or we reject it. And then that kind of grasping uh, creates violent habits. We become nasty, addicted. And then we, then we hurt others. And then by hurting others, we create certain certain hallucinations in terms of uh, existence. So if we start to steal, for example, because there's a sense of lack, we establish a belief in lack and our surroundings become more and more poor because that's how we see them. So, and then that kind of subtle tension of this dualistic split ends up in a kind of hellish experience. So that, that, so that, uh, that dualistic split, that, that's, like a, that's called ignorance, and it is something we act actively do. So ignorance is not, not just not knowing something, it's actually conceptually we do something to make that happen. So that's why it's important, uh, so from the Mayana point of view, not only to look into our experience and discover the three characteristics, but actually also look into the conceptual level of our mind. How, we, how are we co-creators of the world we live in? Because we give it meaning, we give it categories, we give it, uh, we, give it uh, we make it into what it is for us through the conceptual mind. So we battle with our own projections. So that is, uh, so that's why uh, the emphasis is also on first discovering this and, and, and noticing, ah, this is what I do. A problem is not a problem from the side of the problem. It's something we need to, it's a, a, prob a problem is something conceptually created. And then we need, to, uh, we need to use our conceptual mind to counteract and replace that, that mistake. So dependent arising. This dependent arising ma makes uh, really sense to us because we misunderstand it. When we hear dependent arising, you know, dependent arising like you know, <laughs> saying, yeah, things depend on each other. You know? things, uh, 
things are related, things are interconnected. That makes really sense for us because you know, we have learned in school the weather and you know, biology, evolution. Uh, so we, we have learned that, that this moment is not like, like this, but that it is an interrelated uh, thing, what is happening. So it's easy after some, I mean, probably all of you have a sense of that, that this moment arises from everything whatever happened since the Big Bang. I mean, if we now assume a kind of Big Bang. Yeah? So it makes sense. And every scientist would agree with that. Every biologist learns to uh, think in systems. Like if you change something in the the system, no, there is this saying, probably you've heard it, a a butterfly flapping in South America affects the whole weather. And it makes sense to us. Because it fits into our materialistic worldview. But this is actually not what is meant with dependent arising. Because so far, the way I talked is as if there's real things which could really relate to each other. Real things, findable things. That's what a a biologist would think. So far he would have agreed with me. Yeah. Yeah. But in his world, this interrelated things, they really exist, they are findable, they have an essence, yeah? And that's not what dependent arising means in the Buddhist teachings. It's a good start because it makes it feel safe, yeah? And the, the, the Buddhist, many Buddhists, they stay and they on that level. They hear dependent arising or interbeing and they think, yeah, ah, and then, you, then they hear, ah, and this is actually emptiness, which is also not true. It's not emptiness. Dependent arising and emptiness are not the same. They are, they are of course, they are, they, 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 they 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 come they come together and and they you know they but, but they are not uh, they are not pointing to this same the same experience at least for us as I said before uh, in, a Buddha seems to be able to see emptiness and dependent arising in the same moment with the same kind of mind. So the end, the dependent arising here in. Um, in the Buddhist teachings at the Mahayana level. No, on that level, they, they still believe in things. This, you know? Like, they, they believe in, 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 in things, that things exist, that they are real. And some of these schools, they, they, they talk about atoms. Yeah? They talk about things. So, but in the Mahayana, Mahayana views, uh, uh, Dependent arising is much more subtle. The dependent arising in the Mayana thought is called the king of reasoning because with the reflection on dependent arising, you avoid the two extremes. So the two extremes, the extreme of nihilism and the extreme of realism or materialism or 
or um, or eternalism. So it kind of is a way to approach the teachings on emptiness without falling into the extreme of nihilism. The teachings on emptiness itself actually don't fall into the abyss of realism, but it can be easily misunderstood like that. So it's kind of, uh, to talk about dependent arising is like, it, it saves uh, the, the teachings on karma, it saves the sense of uh, things, the, the, the way I live my life matters. But to understand the subtlety of it is quite difficult. It is already uh, interesting to reflect on depending or arising on this more superficial level. For example, if we understand the complexity of things, how things arise from many different conditions, no matter if we now talk about uh, how these conditions exist, yeah. So, but they arise from many conditions. Uh, many conditions. And this is very helpful when, in terms of blaming ourselves and others. Like some of us, we might have the tendency, if something goes wrong, for example, in a relationship, that we kind of we, 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 we take the responsibility for what is happening and are blaming us for it, kind of forgetting how complex situations are and how, you know, how, how, how many factors play into every moment. Yeah. Like it's it would be easy to you know to blame yourself for an addiction, for example. Yeah. But then if you understand that an addiction has so many conditions and so many factors which which are reaching far back, I mean in your in your personal life, but also into your family life, into your culture, yeah, then that can lift that you know that sense of oh it's all my fault. No, it's all my fault. This is so, I mean, this is really narcissist, narcissist, narcissistic. It's all my fault. No, it isn't. It's not your fault that you grew up in a screwed up family and that you live in Scandinavia and, and that the culture here is what it is. So, so that, that it, it, can, it can bring a bit more space, a bit more like a broader view. Also, it, it makes it more difficult for us to judge others if you, if, you see the, if you see the complexity of things, the interconnectedness of things. It's your fault. Just stop drinking. Yeah? That, that's stupid to say something like that. So, but now on a more on a more subtle level. So, dependent arising in the Mayana thought is uh, described on three levels. The first one is things depend on conditions. Yeah. So, as I said, 
it's quite awesome to just for a moment reflect on the fact that this moment is what it is and it can't be different. It can't be different. Nothing in this moment can be on a different place. It is what it is. Where you sit, how you feel today, the thoughts you have, the feelings you have, you know, how many pimples you have in your face, all that is coming from that, I mean, unimaginable network of conditions. And then we are here and shouting, hey, there's something wrong. <laughs> I don't like this feeling. It should be different. I mean, wow. <laughs> uh, so th that can you know, if, if, if you contemplate like that, at least for me, you know, there is this relaxation. It's like, wow, yeah. More I relax into this, more I give space to this, less I suffer. I can sit by the ocean and complain of, oh, you know, the waves should be bigger or smaller or have more <laughs> foam on, on the... No, there's something wrong with the waves. And then I, then I suffer. So that does not mean that, uh, no, that does not mean that uh, these teachings, uh, they, that they talk about determinism, like that, you know, it's okay, then we just, because, because the way you relate to the waves now creates your future. Like, if you now complain about the waves and you struggle, then you will struggle more and more and more. So how you relate to this moment, you can't change this moment. You can't. It's impossible. It is what it is. If you, if you would want to change this moment, you would need to change the whole history. Imagine I could change now the way how many things here on the table. For that, I would need to change the whole history of, of humankind, back to the Big Bang and before. And, and, but the future is not uh, determined. So the way I relate to you, particularly to people, I mean, basically, we create the world we are living through the way we relate to people. That's what, you know, that's when you want to boil down karma. It's about relationship. So, the way you relate to people, that creates then our future. And this is possible because things don't have an essence. If, if things would have an essence, then it wouldn't matter what we do. Because they are what they are, and that's it. And we can either enjoy them or, you know, or hate them. So, but because things are empty, they don't exist, in a, they don't have an essence, what they are 
what they are for us depends on our habits, how we relate to others. So, but now, here, when, when the Mayana, when the Madhyamika say conditions, they don't talk about real things which have an essence. Of course, then we think, yeah, but th things need to have an essence in order to exist. They need to be findable. But actually, as I have proved last time, we didn't really understand the proof, but if things would have an essence, they couldn't relate to each other. No, if things would exist in the way they appear to us, like this, you know, with this conceptual crayon, they couldn't relate to each other because with each relation, you change the whole thing. You change, your essence change, I mean, you know, everything changes. So if there would be an essence in you, like a soul or something like that, you couldn't relate. If there would be a permanent, solid, separate I, then you would be like this. So when, when, uh, when the Madhyamika thought, uh, thinkers talk about dependent arising as depending on conditions, they don't talk about real, existing, findable uh, things which relate to each other. So the second, it, it gets a bit more subtle. Uh, so the second uh, level of dependent arising is called things are mutually dependent on each other. So what that means is light depends on dark. Yeah. Bad depends on good. Yeah, so we, we, we create things, what they are for us, through, uh, through opposites. Yeah. Bad, good. And then we forget that it is us who do it. So they come into existence. This is bad, this is good. Not because they are bad and good from their own side, but because we make this division. For us, a good thing appears as if the goodness is in the thing. And we do it through comparing it with the bad thing. And then good and bad appears to us as if it's something findable. This is very interesting to observe in our minds. Yeah? How we how we constantly do that. You know, this the, this kind of thinking. And and then believing in the categories as something absolute. Success, failure. You know, some people feel I'm failing in my life because they compared with what they feel is success. 
And then they forget that this is completely made up. No. Who says what is success? Who says what is failure? It's a construction. And then we believe in it, and then we suffer from it. Oh, I'm a failure. I failed in my life. Fame. Yeah. All, all this uh, all, you know, criticism, praise. All, all this, uh, these categories which are a prison for us. We imprison ourselves because we believe that these categories have any reality in it. This can be very liberating to relax that. And it's difficult to relax it. As you know, I mean, we are so suckers for praise and fame. But uh, if you notice in your life that you relax that a bit. So, I said that before, we are not going for like complete freedom. We go for a little tiny relief. Yeah? Because then if you think, yeah, but you know, I, you know it's important and you know, I can't let go. No, you can't let go, but you can let go a little tiny bit. It's like, it's like a difference to be 100% sucker for fame and praise or 98% sucker. <laughs> And, and, that, and, and, that's, and that's worth it. Yeah? So we don't need to uh, kind of uh, slide into the direct realization of this completely. No, any kind of uh, relief, any kind of more space for yourself, you find in this kind of reflection. Go for it. Go into that direction. It's not the complete thing, but it's something. And these teachings, they are meant to relieve, to bring, bring us relief, to give us space. Because then we become more kind people. And when we are more kind people, then we create a better future for us and others. So we don't need to understand the whole thing. And which is, as I said, maybe even only possible for a fully enlightened being. But whenever we feel some of the some of the reflection we do here make us more relaxed. Th that's really good enough. And then, if it makes you a bit more relaxed, then you see, yeah, if I can be a bit more relaxed, <coughs> obviously I can be a bit more relaxed. <laughs> yeah. So, right now, I can see this with this problem, yeah? So you relax a bit with that problem, and then you can think, hey, just a moment. It works with this problem. Now let's look at the bit more heavy problem. Can I soften that a bit? Can I deconstruct this? Can I, can I take the responsibility for creating this problem through my projections, through my to my dualistic thinking. So now we come to the most subtle level of dependent arising. And that is, uh, and I'm, we talked about it before, even tonight, and that is that things depend on designation for being what they are for you. 
Namasopa calls it, things exist merely labeled by mind. Merely. Merely. Do you know what merely means? Only. So, that's different than saying things are interconnected and they really exist. But it does not mean that they don't exist. How do they exist? Merely labeled by mind. But then we think, yeah, but something which is merely labeled by mind does not exist. But it exists. It exists. And it's serious. Because it makes you suffer. It's merely made up. That's how it exists, but it makes you suffer. It's serious. It's like in a dream. So, like, no, this is like a very common metaphor. This is like a dream. How is it like a dream? This moment, this moment seems to exist in the way it appears to you. In a dream, that means, if you have a nightmare, you believe that you are in danger. And the image of the monster does exist. How does it exist? Merely labeled by mind. Merely constructed. Made up. So that's the mode of existence of that dream demon. It would be stupid to say it does not exist, because it does, and it has, has effects. It makes, you f it, makes you, it makes you scared. You get scared by your own projection. So, this is like a dream. It's merely made up. So, Madhyamika thinking is proving that. So you have to go back to the sevenfold reasoning and think about it again and again for a few years. I mean, if this kind of, this kind of uh, conceptual play is, is fun for you, don't force, don't force yourself, just if it's fun for you. So, things exist merely labeled by mind. Yet, last time I talked about that there are Buddhist schools who say, uh, yeah, but there needs to be a base of designation. So, it's obvious. I mean, I mean many Westerner philosophers came to this conclusion that it's not the thing, like even the Greek, you know, it's not the things which are happening, it is what you make out of it. Epicure or someone said that. It's not the things what are, which are happening, but it's what you make out of it. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious if you reflect a bit on it. But some Buddhist schools would say, yeah, but there needs to be something real there where you then put a name on. 
there needs to be a real base of designation. No? So you can't just put a name into space. There needs to be something real there, findable there. So, and Madhyamika thought, says, okay, look, let's look at that. Let's try to find the base. Let's say, uh, so this is a chair. It's, uh, it's merely labeled by mind. And it's based, and it's uh, labeled on, because it can, you know, I mean, no, let's say, let's take an example like this. So, this is a ball, yeah? So it's a, it's a singing ball. But actually, I fooled you, it's a hat. <laughs> and the reason why we wear this hat is because it makes me sit very straight and very, very precise. Yeah? So it's a, it's a hat. They actually got it wrong here in the center. And it's bad karma to put it on a cushion. <laughs> no, actually, the truth is, it's a cup. And, we, and it's, it's a cup which can be only used by the teacher. Nobody else is allowed to use it. Yeah? It's actually you know, something, you know, if I would be smaller, you know, it could be the thing I, I'm sitting on. Yeah? It could be a weapon. Actually, these things were developed from weapons. Yeah. They, they were throwing weapons. No, it's, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get, you get my point. Yeah? Uh, of course, there are certain limits here. I can't, I can't sell you this as a car. because it can't function as a car. Yeah. So, and that's why some Buddhist schools say there needs to be a base, the base of designation, and that's real, and it's made out of odd atoms. So then the Madhyamika say, okay, let's look, yeah, maybe, let's look at the base. Yeah. So they look, and then they find atoms. Yeah. They find atoms, and then they, they they, the other guys, the materialists, would say, yeah, that's the real stuff. But then the Madhyamika says, hey, just a moment. The atoms, they have also parts. Yeah? And then they look, they don't find the atom, because, because there is not, 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 not such a thing as an atom. Atom is something, you know, last time I made the, the, this drawing, is something the conceptual mind does it's like a crayon, and it says atom. So if you look at that which you call atom, what you find is parts. You never find an atom. So then these guys say, yeah, yeah, that's true, right. I can't find an atom, but I can find electrons and protons. That's the base of designation. And then the Madhyamika says, okay, let's look at a proton. And they look, and then they, they see, wow, proton is also like this. Yeah? Yes, and then they take the quarks. Yeah? Quark. And then they look, and they, yeah? And so on and so on. 
So that's why a Madhyamika philosopher like Lama Sopa can say, everything is merely labeled by mind. There's nothing there to be found. Nothing which exists from its own side. Nothing which exists inherently, which has an essence. It's all made up. So again, if I say it's all made up, <coughs> yeah, but then it does not exist. No, it exists. How? Merely made up, merely labeled by mind. How does it function? How, does we, how do we suffer? Merely made up. Just to say, I'm suffering, is a conceptual designation. It's something we need to put onto an experience. It's not in the experience itself. Yeah. So that is the most subtle level of dependent arising, that everything depends on a mind designating it. And the experience of realizing that deeply is something like waking up in a dream. I don't know if you, if you ever had a lucid dream. Yeah? It's, it's, a, it's a practice in Tibetan Buddhism you know, where, you, where you cultivate lucid dream. But I think we can all imagine how that is. So a lucid dream is a dream where you suddenly become aware this is a dream. So imagine you have a nightmare, and that's actually why some people train in lucid dreaming, because some people have nightmares, they are afraid to go to sleep. They refuse to fall asleep because they're so afraid of their nightmares. So that's why also Western psychologists, they, they work with lucid dreaming. So imagine you have a nightmare, so there's a, a monster chasing you, and you have trained yourself in this, uh, you know, this kind of awareness that you kind of, you don't wake up from the sleep, but you realize, oh, this is a, this is a dream. This is amazing. That's a bit of a taste of awakening. It's like, well, this is a dream. Th there is, this body is a dream. The, and the, the, the demon is a dream. And it's, so the, the nightmare does not kind of change completely, like you know, suddenly you are on Mallorca or something like that. Because also, you know, these dreams are not happening randomly. There's kind of, there's kind of laws in it. Yeah? So you, but you wake up in that nightmare, you realize, oh, this is a dream. You stop because... You, Fear ceases because there's nothing here to, to be destroyed. There's nothing here to be killed. And then you can just turn around and, you know, I mean, if you're smart, you could start to talk with that demon. Say, what, you know, why are you here? What do you want? Fuck off. Or do you want to be my friend? I would like to have a friend like you. That would be great. So this is also where this 
uh, oh, we have to have a break. This is also where this you know, term of awakening comes from. This is like this experience of awakening from the nightmare of our own projections. And then, if you, if you do that, all, all you want to do is to wake up the other guys who still believe that this is real. That's what you do. Because for them, suffering is real. I mean, it's, it's, I have tried that, but it does not work to say to someone in a depression, oh, this is made up. It does not, very rarely, maybe after three years of working with that person. But in the beginning, of course, it's hopeless. It would actually increase the suffering. Because what that person then needs is love and compassion and understanding and being listened to. And you, you need to, at that moment, you need to take the problem of that person serious. As if it's a real problem. Knowing it isn't. Knowing, it, knowing it's completely made up. Yeah. But you, 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 you relate to the dream problem in the dream as something to, take, to be taken serious. And then if there's more space, people start to realize, wow, I can be more content in my life without anything changing. I can be more happy in my life. Nothing needs to change. I can stay in the same city, I can stay in the same relationship, I can stay in the same life, and everything is completely different. Because inside something has changed. We all have this experience, right? I mean, we, work, woke up, we wake up one day in the same old life, and it's hell. Two weeks later, we wake up in the same, like in the same bed, there's the same person sleeping, you go to the same job, but you're in a different world. What has changed? Something inside. Something the way you look at things. Something in the way you give meaning to things. Why is that possible? Because things are empty. I mean, if there would be something like a fucked up life, that would be horrible. Then there's no hope. But if you understand that it's something inside. It's something. It's something. It's it's a way to the way you look at what is happening in your life. This is so empowering. I mean, if you would think I need to solve the problems of my life to be happy, 